Since 2010, Stephen Cottrell has been the Bishop of Chelmsford, a role which, when you think about it, holds a lot of responsibility. Hundreds of churches and thousands of people fall under the Bishop's remit as the de facto Bishop of Essex, with tasks covering the entirety of the county and much of East London. But what actually makes the man? Born and brought up in Leon C, Bishop Stephen is Essex through and through. And contrary to what many people might think, he did not come from a religious background. While growing up, a number of life experiences and realisations connected him with his faith, and he eventually decided he wanted to be an ordained priest, though he didn't tell anyone at the time. But even now, while on paper he may hold one of the most important positions in the church, the bishop doesn't actually see himself as employed. What he does as a job is essentially who he is as a person, and he will always be bishop even if he wasn't being paid. There are many challenges that face the church in modern day society, such as changing ideas and staying relevant to a younger generation, but throughout everything, Bishop Stephen is driven by a very powerful idea and notion. He wants to change the world. Brought to you by Essex Live, this is Humans of Chelmsford, and this is Bishop Stephen's story. Bishop Stephen, thank you so much for coming onto this podcast and uh, being a guest. But before we launch into any questions, how are you on this fine, lovely, sunny Wednesday, Wednesday morning? Uh, good, thank you. Yeah, it's very nice to be chatting with you. And as you say, it's a lovely day today. Exactly. Now, in the least shocking move imaginable, uh, I'm going to be- begin with religion and faith, things yeah. like that. But mainly <clears throat> in regard to you growing up. So at what point does your faith become so important to you that it effectively becomes your life and your career? Um, yes, well, it's a good question, but not such an easy one to answer um, because as may, may come as a surprise to you and others listening, I wasn't brought up going to church. People assume if you're a bishop that you did grow up going to church. I didn't. So there was really no church in my life um, you know, as a child. I think my parents, my parents kind of ha- believed, so it was a, it was a believing household, but it wasn't a church-going household. Having said that, I think I always believed in God, which I, I've discovered is probably true of most people, certainly most children. Um, of course, there are people who are atheists, um, but there aren't that many, and atheism is a position people arrive at, they don't seem to be born with it. And certainly i sure as a child, well, I remember believing in God, but it was all unformed. Quite a number of things happened to me, which are probably too long for your podcast to tell the whole story. But various things happened to me as a teenager, which basically just kind of left me thinking, um, oh, there is a God, and, and there is a God, and... Uh, and that can't be insignificant. That that must mean something for the whole world. It must mean something for me. And I'm a kind of all-or-nothing person. So I'm unable to separate out going to church, becoming a Christian, believing in God, and feeling called to serve God as a priest. For me, that kind of all happened at once, though it didn't happen in some sort of blinding, flashing lights conversion experience. It was quite a wrestle and quite a journey 
But when I arrived at that point of, well, yes, I am going to be part of this church, I also knew deep inside me that I, I would end up being ordained, though I didn't tell anybody at the time. Uh, that kind of brings me on to my next question is, firstly, was there a trigger? But obviously there's, you've mentioned there's a, a list of things that kind of pushed you towards that faith aspect. But is there anything significant that has made that connection with you and your faith so strong? Yeah, well, I think there's two two things I would, you know, without telling you the whole story, um, the the two things that were very significant for me is, first of all, I mean, it's such an obvious thing to say, but a really important thing to say, the reality of God. That for me, God is not an interesting set of ideas, not a set of propositions about the nature of the universe. God is real. And God has become real in the person of Jesus Christ. Um so the way I look at it is this, that um, most human beings have a sense of God, um, but it's unformed, unshaped, and it finds form and expression in many, many different ways, like the major world religions, but also in all kinds of weird and wacky ways. Um, people's belief in God finds expression. Um, however, if, if, God, if God is real, then God also wants to communicate to us but how do you communicate to us um, if you are God outside of creation, separate from creation? How do you communicate with people like us? Well, perhaps the only way is to enter into the creation you have made. So my understanding of the person of Jesus Christ is that Jesus is God come down to earth. God speaking to us in the only language that we really understand which is the language of another human life. Um, so first of all, I think God is real. So, so it's not, not an idea. God is real and, and has shown us, God shows us what God is like through Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. Second thing, I want to change the world. You know, I, I'm pretty clear about that. That, I think, was Jesus' agenda. So another way of thinking about the person of Jesus is you could say Jesus shows us what humanity is supposed to look like. You know, humanity is supposed to be loving, it's supposed to be generous, it's supposed to be merciful, it's supposed to be kind. we kind of a bit cynical about all that and say, well, that's so naive, that, that's not realistic. Well, it was realistic in one life. There was once one life which was perfectly generous, perfectly kind, perfectly um, good. Um, that's what we're supposed to be like. And I was a very politically active young person. I, I mean, I still am, you know, in that in many ways, an idealistic. But I think I started believing as a young man that if you wanted to change the world, you had to change the heart. The human heart had to be changed if the world was to be changed. And only God can change the human heart. And, you know, sorry to put it so simplistically, but this is how I see it. If more people were more like Jesus, the world would be a better place. Or let me be very personal. If I was more like Jesus, if I was more generous, more kind, more charitable, more merciful, then I would be a better person. And if I was a better person, the world would be a better place. So, so sorry, this is turning into a long answer. I believe that God is real and I want to change the world. I mean, that, that's yeah, why I'm a priest. That second point want to change the world is it's a big remit yeah. for starters so how do you kind of break it down into bits that you can manage how do you make that a reality 
Well, I think that's what God, I mean, that was, that was, I think, God's purpose in Jesus Christ was to show humanity. I mean, you don't need to be a Christian, you don't need to be religious to say the world's in a mess. You know, that's not, you we know. read the news. Yeah, yeah like you know, we look around and see there's so much of the world that's in a mess. And what, what person doesn't want to see the world changed for the better? The question is, how do you do it? Um, and uh, many of us give up and say, well, I can't change the world, so I'll just do the best I can in my family and my community, which is great, nothing wrong with that. But I want to hold on to the big vision, God's vision, of the whole world being changed. And God also had a plan. And the plan, obviously, was shown through Christ. Christ shows us what humanity is supposed to be like. And then, all over the world, there's little groups of men and women who are inspired by that, who are trying to live it out themselves and share it with others. So that's where the church comes in. What's the church? I mean, I know we look like this huge, ancient, vast, um, fairly archaic organisation, but really what the church is, is a bunch of men and women inspired by God's vision in Christ who are trying to make a difference. Um, So that's why I became a priest, and I'm now the Bishop of Chelmsford. Um, We've got over 600 churches in Essex and East London. And what is those churches? It's a bunch of men and women trying to make a difference in their community, working with others to do that and inviting others to be part of it. And so there's a lot of other stuff we do as a church, but fundamentally that's what we're about. Going back to one of your earlier answers, when you decided that you wanted to become ordained Mm. and you said you didn't tell anybody initially... Mm. Was there a reason why? Yeah, because I was still wrestling and struggling with it. And as somebody who wasn't brought up in the church, you know, it's quite a culture shift to, to cope with. So I, I loved God. I was inspired by the vision of a new humanity that I saw in Christ. I didn't necessarily find the culture of the church terribly easy. Um, so I wrestled with it, particularly when I was in my late teens and you know early 20s. But... In the end, I embraced it pretty quickly um, and obviously then did tell people. But for for some time, it was just within me and I didn't quite know what to do with it, though it was a strong conviction. Your journey from originally being ordained as a priest to becoming the Bishop of Chelmsford, just how long a path was that, if you can summarise it? Well, yes, I mean, it's yes, I can summarise it, but it probably doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, perhaps the first thing to say is you don't apply to be a bishop. Um, A bishop is what's called a crown in the Church of England, is a crown appointment. Um, So I'm very happy to be the Bishop of Chelmsford, but I didn't apply for the job. I got a a letter one day saying, you've been nominated. Um, So that literally, for me, came out of the blue. Um, So I thought I would serve as a priest, working in a local community... I thought that's what I would spend my life doing. Um, then out of the blue uh, came the call to be a bishop, and I've enjoyed responding to that call, but that really wasn't particularly my plan or even my desire. Was that a daunting thing when you first see this letter, or is that something you really take in your stride? Yeah, no, it, it was a pretty daunting thing. I mean, uh, I mean, it's quite an amusing story. I mean, the letter arrived... Even even I've been Bishop of Chumps for now seven years. I think the system's changed even since then, so I don't think it'd be quite the same. But for me, one Saturday morning a letter arrived, and it was round about that time of the year 
sort of January, February, where tax returns are sent backwards and forwards. And it was a brown manila envelope, you know, Her Majesty's, and I just thought it was tax. So I didn't even open it. I just thought, I'll open that later. Then I forgot about it, did open it later, and inside the plain brown envelope was a very posh white vellum envelope with the Downing Street seal on it. And I thought, hmm, this is a bit... I don't usually receive letters like this. In it was a handwritten letter from the Prime Minister saying, you have been nominated to be the next Bishop of Chelmsford. Now, the Church of England is the established church of this land, and, you know... We, we, you know, in British society, as we know, we've got our traditions, and one of the traditions is you don't say no to the crown. Um, so this was really my chance to say no. So the letter from the prime minister was saying, "I wish to nominate you to the crown, and then the crown will simply appoint you." Um, so this was my chance to say no, um, but I didn't say no. I was very happy to say yes, though very daunted by it. It's a it's a big job, as I think I mentioned. We've got. 600 churches, millions of people. We have chaplaincies in schools, hospitals, prisons, shopping centres, sports clubs, football clubs. Um, and it's, the church is a, is a very... Most people don't think about this, but if you stop to think about it, we're a very big operation. We're the largest voluntary organisation in the county by miles. Um, but also we employ hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And the buck has to stop somewhere. So in one sense, you know, when I go into a school and the, one of the children will say, Bishop, what do you do? I usually say, well, I'm like the boss of a large organisation. Now, that's only one bit of my job, but it is a bit. So that's a daunting thing to know that in the end, you know, the, the well-being, housing and employment of hundreds of people, in the end, the buck stops with me. Um... But I think more daunting still is that what I also tell the children is my job is to be like the voice and the face of the Christian faith for Essex and East London. Um, and now that's a really daunting task. Um, and all clergy are very susceptible to the charge. Um, you don't practice what you preach. And let me tell you, I'm very susceptible to that one. You know, my life falls far short of what I think it should be. Um, so, yeah, it's very, it is very daunting. You say you, your life falls far short uh, from what you think it should be, but I presume that's kind of across the board for a lot of people. And is that something that keeps pushing you? To... Oh, yeah, I don't get depressed about it. <laughs> um, I'm, not a, I'm not a miserable sinner. I'm just a plain sinner. <laughs> um, uh, like any man would. Yeah, say. yeah. I, you know, but but I think it is important to recognise that we fall short. Um, you know that we shouldn't let ourselves off the hook. Um, it, you know, I want to change the world, and I kind of have to begin with myself. So unless I recognise my need to be changed, then nothing else will ever change. So it is important to recognise that we fall short, but not to be depressed about it but actually trying to do something about it. And the doing something about it actually usually is most most important thing to do is acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. I'm in need. I'm not the person I'm meant to be. Um, it's what the church calls sin, you know, which is a you know, not a very fashionable word nowadays, but actually I think it's one a word people understand. You know, is there is there a single human being in the world who doesn't often go to bed thinking, why did I say that? Why did I do that? When, when we do that, what we're saying is, I fall short of the person 
I want to be. Um, so, um, you know, that's, that's the human condition. That, that kind of brings me on to another question I had down, because in terms of challenges and recognising yourself that, you know, you may not be the person you want to be, and I think when that happens to a lot of people, they kind of look for a, someone to blame, and a lot of the time it can be God and think, you know, why me? Mm. Why is this happening to me? So I going to say, how do you respond to that? Well, well, I, I kind of turn it the other way around, and actually I look to God for help rather than to blame. <laughs> Though I do understand, you know, there are many people who are crushed by the horrors, the injustices of life. Um, and I understand why they may well hold a grudge against God. Why has God dealt me this hand? Um, but I continue to believe that fundamentally God is there as a source of encouragement, guidance, help for our lives. Um, and if we bring our sorrows and our sins to God, um, if we try to see how the world is meant to be as we see it in Christ, then uh, then we can ourselves find hope, acceptance, joy. You know, I turn it on its head in another way. I mean, one of the causes of many people's sadness and misery is that they don't feel accepted, they don't feel loved, they don't feel worth anything. And the world really peddles that, doesn't it? I mean, you can't open a magazine or switch on your computer without being bombarded by images of what you're meant to be like, you know, with the kind of message that, you know, if you, if you just bought that pair of jeans or if you drove that car or earned that salary or got that plastic surgery, then you'd be happy. None of it works. <laughs> or it works just enough to get you hooked. And I, I sometimes think we've become a nation of junkies, you know, hooked on the idea that you can buy and purchase your way to happiness. And the fantastic good news of the Christian faith is you can be set free from all of that and actually say, if you've found in life that you haven't had acceptance, unconditional acceptance and love, well, it's available. Absolutely. And we talked just before um, we started recording about you being born in Lee-on-Sea and growing up in Lee-on-Sea. So when you become Bishop of Chelmsford, it's very much like a, a homecoming for you. Yeah, I mean, I I love being Bishop of Chelmsford. I mean, it is hard at times and it is, it is daunting, but I love it. Um, and part of the reason I love it is because this is the place I've always thought of as home. As a priest, my work took me around the country and I love the different communities I served in. But I think because I moved around so much, there was a sense in which Essex always remained as home. It's the place where I was born, the place where I grew up. I left at 18 and didn't come back. But because I've always had family here and friends here, it's the place I've always come back to. Um, so to be called to serve here was a wonderful joy and a gift. And also I think I understand, I think I understand Essex culture. I mean, one thing I've noticed coming back to Essex is how many jokes are made about Essex elsewhere. <laughs> you know, as soon as you say you're from Essex, you know, usually people make a joke which they wouldn't do if you said you came from Hampshire or Hertfordshire or Surrey. But for some reason, if you say you're from Essex, it's like open season to have a little bit of a go at you. Um, no, I, I don't let that upset me. But 
hey, I'm a champion for Essex. You know, wherever I go, I say to people, hang on a minute, Essex is a really vibrant, creative, energetic, entrepreneurial place. Very creative place. Um, and I think because I'm from, you know, particularly from the south of Essex, you know, I'm not from, you know, I notice in North Essex, often if you, people are asked where they live, they say, oh, East Anglia. You know, they don't even admit to Essex. But I'm from, what, proper Essex, you know, South End. And, um, yeah, I want to celebrate um, this part of the country um, because, I, you know, it's where I belong. Does that help you then connect with people in this I think, area? I think it does. I like to think it does. I like to think it does. And I also notice that I often have this conversation you know, so that's the other side of this coin is sometimes people will say when I'm visiting a church or somewhere, people say, oh, Bishop, I gather you're from Essex. And I say, yeah, yeah, I was born and brought up in, you know, in Lee in the South End area. And people are really pleased to hear that. And I wonder whether they would if I was the Bishop in Hampshire or Hertfordshire. I wonder whether it would matter so much because I think I think we in Essex have a bit of an identity that's perhaps born of the fact that people make jokes about us elsewhere. Um, but I think we can celebrate that. So you arrived in, in 2010 in your yeah. role as Bishop of Chelmsford. Um, what do you think has changed about yourself from when you first started to looking at yourself now, seven, eight years down oh, the line? That's a really good question, and I'm not sure I know the answer to it. I mean, I think I've, I've obviously learned a lot. I mean, I've learned how to do the... I hope I've learned, or I'm learning, how to do the job. I mean, I hadn't done... a hadn't been bishop of a diocese before i've been a bishop before but not of a diocese like this so i had a lot to learn so i think i've i've learned about that i think i've learned again i've relearned things about essex culture and east london culture which isn't quite the same though there's a very close relationship uh i hope i've learned um i hope i've learned a bit of humility that you know i came with big hopes of what would happen the hopes haven't changed um but you know progress is slow um and you know i realize the church is up against it many of our churches struggle with small congregations huge overheads of looking after medieval buildings we know which are draining on resources and energy so there's there's huge challenges we face and um yeah i've learned a lot about hopefully being humble and realistic about we can make progress, but it'll probably be slow. In that time as well, has the overriding message you send to people changed? Or does it depend on who you're talking to? You mentioned the no, difference I between d- East London and Essex. No, I don't think the message has changed. The message, you know, the message for me never really changes, though you might have to learn some new tunes. Is that the best image? The words are the same, but you might sing it to a different tune, depending on where you are. Yeah, that's probably how mm-hmm. it is. So, I'll, yeah, I'll need to learn some new tunes. So, therefore, when I go into, I don't know, speak to a sixth form in Romford, and when I go to speak to you know the business people in the Chamber of Commerce in Colchester, um, the tune might be different. But I think if you analysed the message, you'd find out it was pretty much the same, which is God is real, the world is in a mess, Christ shows us what humanity is supposed to be like. Um, if we followed Christ, we could change the world. So I think I just go around saying that everywhere. Exactly, but obviously tailor it but to yeah, the individual. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
but in different ways. Yeah. I look at sort of changing attitudes um, in today's society, and there's there's kind of a wave of new ideas coming through. And I mentioned one, say same sex marriage, for example. Mm. So first off, you know, what are you, what's your opinion on that? But also, how does the church respond to that? Is there kind of a discussion ha- that has to be had within? about whether you modernise with these new ideas or is it trying to maintain tradition to an extent? Yeah, well, you you put your finger on one of the great challenges facing the church at the moment. I think my starting point would be, if you'll forgive me quoting the Bible, there's a a line in the Bible which is, as it happens, actually often the opening sentences in the wedding service which says, God is love and those who live in love live in God. It's a great line, um, and that's always my starting point. God is God is love. Not notice it doesn't say God is loving. It says God is love, um, and those who live in love live in God. Which you could add whether they realise it or not. So wherever there is love, there is God. So that's my starting point. So I want to say to gay and lesbian, all LGBTI plus people. If you are living in love, the Bible says you must also be living in God, whether you realise it or not. That's the starting point, is God's unconditional love and acceptance of everybody and the fact that love is lovely and love is good and whenever whenever there is genuine love, then God is there already. That's the starting point. And it's really important to say that because there's some buts coming and the buts that are coming are we are in the process of working out what that means in terms of the appropriate ways that we formally bless and give expression to those many different relationships. And at the moment, there's great disagreement in the church about how we do that. Um, uh, And that's painful, because it's always painful when families disagree with each other. Um, And at the moment, it's not possible in the Church of England for there to be a same-sex marriage. That might change or it might not change, but at the moment it's not possible. Um, In defence of the church, I would say, I would just remind people that we've only had same-sex marriage in our society for a few years, and these are big cultural shifts for us as a society and for an organisation like the church that's been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's not surprising that maybe it takes us a bit longer to work out how to respond but i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to compromise the fundamental message of unconditional love and welcome to all people i wouldn't want to compromise the message that wherever there is love there is god and then to say but yes we have a problem and um, and there's an internal debate and conversation going on at the moment about how to address that problem And if you wanted me to look into a crystal ball, which you very generously not asked me to do, but I will, (laughs) I would would imagine that in the coming years, in the Church of England, we will find ways of acknowledging other relationships, but I don't suppose it'll be same-sex marriage any time soon. How does the the church manage to stay relevant then to say a younger generation? Yeah, well, it's a through? huge, it's a huge, huge challenge. Um, every time I go into a school, it's almost the first question. Yeah, almost the first question I'm asked. 
Um, but um, but I think I think I would also add that the important thing is the unconditional acceptance of all people. Um, working out what is the appropriate way for the church to acknowledge that relationship is a really important matter and really important, but it's 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 second to the first issue, which is the unconditional love and acceptance, and that's not in doubt. Mm-hmm. We'll move away now from um, yeah. sort of the the religious aspect, uh, mainly to you as a person, because I suppose when some people see you and, and see the collar and the, the bishop aspect you kind of think religion kind of takes over your whole life really mm. but there's obviously a, a lot of other interests to you there's writing there's cooking um and there's also football being a passionate yeah. Tottenham <laughs> fan um which I won't, won't hold against you um but, <coughs> but to hobbies like that do they kind of help you switch off and maybe connect with people in a different way yeah well yeah perhaps yeah there's a bit of me which wants to say I don't understand the question. Um, let me explain why I'm saying that. For me, being a Bishop of Chelmsford is not a job. Okay. Um, uh, so I don't... Th- in fact, I don't think of myself as having a job. I think of myself as creatively unemployed. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I am paid. And my, th- This house doesn't belong to me. The house belongs to the church. It goes with the job. And I am paid to be the Bishop of Chelmsford. But say the finances of the Church of England collapsed and they could no longer pay me and had to sell this house. I would still be the Bishop of Chelmsford. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't stop. I would have to get another job in order to live, but I would still be the Bishop of Chelmsford. And I, and I suppose I, I want, would want you and others to understand that. I think that would be true of every priest. Is It's really good that we get paid but we don't think of it as a job. This is my life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so therefore, I don't separate out other bits of my life. Um, in fact, I see it all as um, as a sign of God's gracious, creative abundance. So for me, um, I do cook. I, 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 I love to I write and publish books. I mean, children's books, books about the church and books about God. Um, I love to watch Spurs. You know, I love to walk. But all these things aren't a separate category in my life. They're all part of the celebrating, the joyous, wonderful, profligate goodness of God's creation. Mm-hmm. And I, so therefore I feel I, I'm as much worshipping and giving honour to God when I'm cooking or writing or watching the football, as I am when I'm in church. Mm-hmm. I just don't see those as different activities. I don't divide the world up into the secular and the religious. It's all one world, one life. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, of course, I do understand your question, and I don't work as Bishop of Chelmsford all the time. I take time off. I take time for rest and recreation. But I'd hate you or anyone to think this is my job. In one sense, it is. But in a much more important sense, it isn't. Yeah, so I mean, it's a role, but essentially, it's it's you, it's your yeah, life. It sums yeah. up what you are yeah. as a person. Yeah, you know that, which is why the church tends to use the word vocation. You know, um, and and of course, there are other jobs which are vocations, um, but supremely, this is about the life that I lead, um, not about the job that I do. Mm-hmm. And we'll wrap up. 
uh, this podcast on a, on a high note, I suppose. And bearing in mind everything, what is the most rewarding aspect of this role you have in life? I think the most rewarding aspect, you may think this is a bit of a cheesy way to end, <laughs> is this. The best way I feel I can serve God is by trying to share with others the reality of God. Um, and so whenever there's an opportunity just to tell people God is real, it's wonderful, it's joyful, um, it's like, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember black and white TVs and when we changed over to colour, the picture's the same in colour, oh, but it's so much more fantastic. And And I want to say... Life is good, but hey, life in full technicolor with God is so much, so much better. And so any opportunity to do that, such as on this podcast, is the most rewarding bit of my work. Exactly. And that's a perfect way to end and a perfect advertisement for the podcast as well. And um, I want to thank you again so much for, for coming on and just kind of explaining about you know your role, but also how you see the world and these, these missions you've kind of given yourself no matter how daunting they may be, and I really think it will connect with a lot of people. So thank you so much. Alistair, thank you. Follow Essex Live on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram, or go to our website, essexlive.news.